Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Bluffton, South Carolina at the Montage Palmetto Bluff, an amazing resort on 20,000 acres of land. If you really want to know how how big that is, bigger than Manhattan and wonderfully well-preserved at that. Speaking of Bluffton, South Carolina, my next guest is serving her third term as the Bluffton mayor. She's called this area home for 34 years, but you can't talk about Bluffton without talking about Hilton Head and vice versa. You fly into Savannah, next thing you know, 30 minutes later, you're you're basically here. Uh, her name, Lisa Selka. Nice to see you again. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so, I mean... I know you're a Clemson graduate. Sorry about about your football team this year. Okay, uh, we're happy. You're happy yes. because because Alabama beat Georgia. Absolutely. Okay, just double checking. <laughs> it's nothing nothing better than revenge, but it's a rebuilding year now. It is. That's what they always say. I know. Well, you're right. No, you know what a rebuilding year is? It's the Cleveland Browns. Yes. That's a rebuilding year. Yes. You know, a, a complete winless season. They, they have nothing but to rebuild. Yeah. In any case, born and raised where? Prosperity, South I Carolina. I, I, I made you say that to come up with that word. <laughs> Tell me about prosperity. Prosperity made its claim to fame. Years ago, when Clinton was running for president, every Republican candidate came through Prosperity, South Carolina, because there was one road sign, and it had Prosperity with an arrow to the right, Clinton with an arrow to the left. (laughs) And it got on every national 
news and talk show. So a that's lot of good, a lot of good done for the, did for the Republicans. Clinton won. They, they, you're you're right. Le, the last time I think a Democrat won for president <laughs> in seven. South, right? That was it. Maybe we did it. Yeah, maybe you did it. All right. So, yeah. but but tell me about prosperity though. Prosperity is just a sweet little southern town surrounded by a 3,500-acre lake, man-made lake. I. I it resembles Bluffton a lot in the fact that it's just a lot of caring, giving people that love their town. And they have, it's a small town, but the people that surround it, you know, are on the lake and the waters and really support the small town of Prosperity. In the middle of the state, um, not very big, probably about 600 people in the town limits. And now you're in Bluffton. And now I'm just a low country version of Prosperity. Population? Almost 20,000. That's bigger. In the town limits. It was, wow. the population was about 450 when I moved here in 1993. But didn't Bluffton sort of come out of Hilton Head in a way? Hilton Head was absolutely a reason for our popularity because they are a beautiful resort island and we are just the gateway to, well, we were the gateway to Hilton Head. Now I like to say that Hilton Head is the gateway to Bluffton. And you're west of Hilton. We are west yeah, of Hilton Head. Exactly. So, so I know what got you here, right? Uh -huh. What keeps you here? I love my town. I love Bluffton. We moved to Hilton Head when I got married, when I graduated from Clemson, and I liked how you, you pronounced it correctly. Um, moved there, met my husband. My husband opened the second bank in Bluffton in 1993 and said, we need to live in Bluffton are they're not going to do business with someone who lives on Hilton Head. Very honest. And we moved here, and, and I will never leave. By the way, you know, there's, there's a lesson that I always try to learn, and that is you never buy a, a new car in the first model year, <laughs> and you never want to be in the first wave if you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. That's so true. opening the second bank was probably a good idea. It was probably pretty good. We moved to Bluffton, and there was one of everything. And that was the second. But wasn't. But wait, one of everything was sort of its charm. It was kind of its charm. It was one one restaurant, one bank, one doctor, one pharmacist, one you know several churches. So you better not piss anybody south. off because you're 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 out of dry cleaning there. You're right. <laughs> you're right. It didn't last very long. And you ran for mayor. And I did in 2004. And had you ever held an elected office before? Uh, take that back, 2008. I ran for council in 2004. And. I did it and didn't even tell my family that I had registered. I had a one post office, and you went the same time every day, and I had a group of people who were on council that encouraged me to run, and I had little children, and, you know, I wanted to give back. I was raised in a family that gives back, like you were saying with the conservancy. You know, my family believes in paying it forward, and that wasn't exactly what I was thinking about when paying it forward, but the opportunity arose and I run against, ran against a lot of locals. I was not considered one, even though I'm from South Carolina. You were an outsider. I was a, I was a, ben, a Kamya, not a Benya, which is Gullah folklore, and I won. And then I was up for re-election and the mayor at the time decided to retire. And at that time, everyone wanted me to run for mayor and I was scared to death, but I did and here I am. And here you are. I know. For people who've never been here, why should they come? Oh my gosh! If you, if you, and don't, and try not to be overtly promotional. No, I won't. I won't. Um, and I'll go back to a story someone told me one day. They called me. Actually, a resident that lives in Palmetto Bluff wanted to know why he should move to Bluffton, South Carolina. I said, "Well, the charm of Bluffton is it has its quirkiness and its in its southern feel." 
but it also has the necessities that someone coming from somewhere else can have. The Targets, the Home Depots, the Publix, the, the wonderful medical care, the really great educational benefits of, of really uh, successful public and private schools. But they also can come downtown and just feel like they've, they're living in a small southern town that will never change. And it's a quality of life. It goes back to those three words. You mentioned downtown. Yeah. I'm assuming there's more than one dry cleaner now? We have many dry cleaners, <laughs> many doctors, many banks, many churches, <laughs> many restaurants, which are great, and a really great community in Palmetto Bluff. They're, they're our best, biggest partner and part of our town. And this hotel, which only recently became a montage, mm-hmm. um, has been around for, what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, it, it always stood out as, as this great resort that nobody knew about. Right. You sort of like, you, you lucked into it. Right. You, you find that little crooked sign on, on 46, and you, you're curious about where that little sign that says Palmetto Bluff, and that's all it says on two little planks of wood, and, and it's a curiosity thing. You turn right. And then look what you find. Just so actually, that's, you know, maybe not for Bluffton, but for Palmetto Bluff, that should be their branding. Don't miss the sign. That's right. That's right. Palmetto Bluff is a wonderful neighbor. Palmetto Bluff advertises there in Bluffton, South Carolina. They do not need to use the Savannahs and the Hilton Heads and, and other areas to, to draw in their, their residents and their clients to come to Montage. Now, Madam Mayor, you mentioned restaurants. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to, to uh, go off the reservation long enough to tell me where do you just where do you like to hang out for breakfast, lunch, or dinner? That may not be in the brochures or the guidebooks, but that is like your favorites. Okay, breakfast, squat and gobble. Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> I've had dates like that. No, no, yeah, no, no, no I can't go there. <laughs> it's an experience. <laughs> squat and gobble. Squat. The letter N. Gobble. Squat and Gobble was the only restaurant in this town when I moved here. Dare I ask what you're eating for breakfast at Squat and Gobble? They have they have probably the best black coffee you'll find. They have a uh, breakfast, a very southern breakfast, uh, bacon, eggs, grits. Yeah, we have to have grits. We have to have grits. Um, I go, I can't do the wheat toast. I do white bread, white toast. It used to be. The last remaining person on the planet eating. <laughs> and don't tell me it's Wonder Bread. No, it's probably just white, good white toast. <laughs> um, a lot of butter. And the price has gone up since we moved here. We moved here. It was two ninety nine. Now it's six ninety nine, but it's worth every penny. Okay, lunch. Lunch farm. Brand new restaurant. Absolutely the best. The best. I kind of tie with that, and if I want some good fried food, I do Bluffton Family Seafood, which is the best fried shrimp and oysters you'll ever put in your mouth. All right, and quickly, dinner. Dinner, um, I'm kind of going to go off. I really, every place here is good for dinner, but I would say May River Grill or Poor Richards, P-O-U-R, as in wine, Poor Richards. Okay. I'm still <laughs> hung up on Squat and Gobble, but we won't go there anymore. Toto? Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. The 
is a little bit new. You may know the montage from the guys out in Southern California and Utah and a few other places. What's amazing to me about this location is that you get to bike it, you get to walk it, you get to swim it, weather permitting. You get to experience it without a lot of crowds. You are lined on every side imaginable by amazing trees. And yet, most people who I, I'm going to guess this, and maybe my guest might disagree with this, but most people who go to a resort, whether it's here or Hawaii or anywhere, never seem to leave the resort. What's different about this place is the environment is essentially the resort. And my next guest knows a little bit about that because she's the Director of Programming and Development for the Palmetto Conservation Foundation. Mary Rowe, how are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. So, did you agree with what I said? I did, absolutely. You know, uh, that's a great segue into trails and what we do at the Palmetto Conservation Foundation. Well, tell me more. Uh, Right. We are actually a statewide organization, Peter. We have been building trails for 30 years. We're known as South Carolina's premier trail system, and we go from the mountains to the sea. Now, did you get the mountains? I got that part. (laughs) Thank you for the branding message. But no, but did you also get involved in rails to trails as well? Uh, We have several of our existing trails that are rail trail um, conversions. Yes, sir. One of those out of the Columbia area, the Peak to Prosperity Passage, which uh, has some amazing trestle bridges. People that come to visit and... No longer used by the trains. No, sir. No, it's all safe and it's beautiful, nice and flat and easy trail. Uh, But... uh, See, trestle bridges to me reminds me of the movie Stand By Me Mm -hmm. and that famous line, train! Right? (laughs) Well, if you're on the Peak to Prosperity, the Alston trestle, you would feel that. It is an amazing uh, uh, bridge, about 116 feet long. And then below is the broad river. But you're originally from Buffalo. I am from Buffalo. Explain how you got to from buff to bluff. Well, uh, again, uh, that chilly weather. (laughs) And uh, where else to go but down here in the low country. So I spent uh, much of my free time here with my siblings in Bluffton and Hilton Head Island, enjoying early on Hilton Head Island's trails, uh, riding bikes. But early on Hilton Island's trails, I mean... Before people really imagined what they could be. There was a vision there. And uh, that vision was for a very livable uh, types of communities where people did not have to get in cars but could go wherever they wanted on that uh, island. The first plantation, obviously, sea pines. You could just go all over on your bike or walk. And uh, it was uh, truly magical when you're about eight years old and you can hop on a bike and not worry about a thing and be gone all day. And by, when I was eight years old, it was a Schwinn. Well, I had a Schwinn and then a Raleigh. We moved up. <laughs> you know, they still make Schwinns. Yes, they do. Unbelievable. With the fat tires. Right, right. I even had white walls once. Ooh. Not anymore. No. <laughs> but you've gone from the original trails in Hilton Head to ha- how- give me an idea of, of size that we're talking about now. Well, right now, the Palmetto Trail is a trail system of over 350 miles of trail. Um, When we're done, we'll be over 500 miles of trail. And then what we'd like to do is then uh, have spur trails. So we have some great trails down here in the low country. I'm sure you've heard of the Spanish Moss Trail in Beaufort, South Carolina. Yes. And uh, then, of course, here uh, at the resort, there are trails and then in Hilton Head. Um, And so what we'd like to do after we build the Palmetto Trail, completely build the trail, and our goal is to finish this project in eight years, then we can begin to uh, do spur trails. So if you're visiting here, you'd connect onto a spur trail and you could get to get to Beaufort or from Beaufort, you could get to Charleston. Um, And I don't know if you're familiar Peter, with the East Coast Greenway that they're building from Maine to Florida. Tell me more. All right. Well, that's a a neat project that's been going on. And actually, um, 
it's pretty um, uh, developed in, in the Maine, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, down into uh, Maryland. But the, the focus now is down here in the low country and to connect it to Florida. And uh, it will be a trail system that people can walk from Maine to Florida or ride their bike. It's going to be pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And by the way, there will be people who will want to walk from Maine to Florida. Absolutely. Just like, you know, on your bucket list, there's the uh, Appalachian it's forest, Trail. It's Forest Gump time. What right? are you talking about? There's the Palmetto Trail, and then there'll be the East Coast Greenway. Amazing. What's the most challenging aspect of your job? The most challenging aspect is really getting people out on the trail. And yet you've had, what, 250,000 people yeah. a year doing yeah. it? Yes, we do. And a lot of the, you know, some of those uh, people don't even know they're on a trail. We have two urban trails, one in Spartanburg and one in downtown Columbia. So people walk out of their offices and there they are on our trail. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. My next guest I've known for way too long. Uh, we go back many, many years. But his claim to fame, at least for the purposes of this show, is, is he the, he's the founder and the chairman of, of Montage International, which really runs not only this show, this hotel, but uh, Southern California, uh, Beverly Hills, Utah. What am I missing? Maui. Maui. Cabo San Lucas, oh, Mexico over, opening you up You took soon? over the old Kapalua, Kapalua Bay. Old, well, the site of the old Kapalua yeah. Bay Hotel, yeah. there was uh, some rich residences that were built yeah. that we took over a few years back. And it's uh, that hotel is remarkable. It's just uh, really uh, is dominating the Hawaiian market right now, doing incredibly well. Well, when you started the montage in Southern California, you really, other than the original Ritz in Laguna, I mean, you really turned around the definition of luxury hotel, and you had the space to do it. Yeah, it's a montage Laguna Beach. Every room is every room on the ocean front, an incredible physical property. But more than just the great physical attributes, we were creating a different style of service for the ultra luxury set. When I looked at traditional luxury growing up and what I what I saw 15, 20 years ago was a much more pretentious, stuffy view of what luxury was. And well, not to not to dump on any particular chain, but I remember in Laguna leaving my room at the Ritz Carlton and being ashamed of the fact that I wasn't wearing wingtips. <laughs> Well, I'm a big fan of what they did. Of wingtips? Well, no, big fan of what the Ritz-Carlton had done. Oh, they did? In their day. Yes. But the next generation of luxury travel is looking for a much more gracious and humble approach to luxury. They don't want to call attention to themselves. Well, you you want it more comfortable. Luxury does not have to be um, stuffy, pretentious. It can can, uh, can be as comfortable in fine dining in jeans and a sport coat than you can be in a suit. And you can be as comfortable walking around hotels. In, in the old days, you'd have to get dressed up just to go to dinner, to walk through the uh, main grounds of, a, of, of these great resorts. And we wanted to get rid of that, yet not lose attention to detail and the great craftsmanship that these venerable hotels were so well known for. So how has that definition changed even more of, well, I, of luxury? It's continue. It's continued to evolve. Where um, the personalized service, the sense of place, is now much more important than it ever was. Um, there was a time where luxury hotel companies were cookie cuttering luxury, and a hotel might look the same in Hawaii than it does in Boston. And in this day and age, our guests are looking for a true sense of place. They're, they want it, to immerse themselves in that place. Absolutely, they want to educate. They want to feel um, part and parcel of the culture. Um, one of one of the favorite activities in Hawaii is ukulele lessons and uh, lay as making. opposed to a luau. Exactly. Yeah. 
less commercialized, much more, more participatory. Absolutely. I mean, people really want a cure. I hate the word curated, but I'll throw it in a curated, genuine experience. They do. And time is so precious for the for the traveler that um, if we can find things that uh, really are reflective of the environment of where they're staying and have a true sense of place, uh, they'll take away experiences that they'll talk about for years to come. It won't get muddled with uh, with the um, many hotels they may experience uh, throughout the year. To me, hospitality is not about technology. It's about storytelling. Very much so. The, 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 the stories that are told, the interaction with, uh, with, with different types of people, uh, creating experiences and sharing those experiences um, are what, what, what great, great stays are all about. You know, it's one thing as you develop your hotels because you're growing, but you want to have an authentic Utah experience in Utah. And you want to have an authentic Southern California experience in Southern California and still have your baseline be this is what we're providing for you. Right. So so the architecture and the interiors are reflective of the, of local, the community, of the locale. Right. But the style of service, that gracious approach is what translates magnificently from montage to montage. Why Palmetto Bluff? It is the most breathtaking. It is a quintessential southern low country environment. So much to do here. Uh, okay, it, I'm going to be devil's advocate. Please. What did you, Alan Firstman, know about southern country, low country? Very little. I, I, knew, I, I was a rhetorical question. No, no. <laughs> I, very, very little until yeah. um, I was approached a few years ago about an opportunity here, and I visited the property. And you were blown away. Astounded. Me too. Um, it's... It, it, there's a youthfulness to being here. It makes me feel like a kid. This is a. Uh, Did you ride your bike today? I I rode my bicycle. Um, another favorite activity is porching. Reading a, reading a book on your porch is a, a bygone thing. Going to the general store on the bicycle and and getting a, you know a little snack. It's just it's just such a great sense of community. See, sense I believe of place. that rocking chairs belong on porches. They don't belong in airports. <laughs> you know when you see a rocking chair at the Charlotte airport. They're giving you a subliminal message. You're going to be here a while, right? But a rocking chair here, it makes sense because you want to be here a while. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot to do. It's, there's so many different activities um, to do at, in, in Palmetto Bluff, and uh, it, it's it, and it's unique. You you don't find this experience in, in other locales. Other than the opportunity for you to relive your childhood, what was the biggest surprise for you when you first discovered this place? The biggest surprise was I had never that I really wasn't aware of it before I came here, and um, just how comfortable it is. Um, the, the southern cooking has—I've I've been pleasantly surprised with with the food here. And you know, I never considered myself uh, a shot, but now here we go to our shooting range, and we have this incredible clay shooting, and we have the over and unders. The, ex- oh, my favorite! Exactly, and then uh, and then of course you have to have the spa massage after that to to repair your bruised shoulder. Exactly. I just wanted to mention. Yeah. No, no, but. Yeah. And, or you can do some stand-up paddle boarding and work it out that way, too. Have you done that yet? Absolutely. Oh, you're everywhere. I try to be. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Joining me now, speaking of uh, Bluffton, South Carolina, and conservancy, let's talk about historical conservancy in terms of preservation. Kelly Logan Graham, the uh, the director of, of that of that preservation society. How are you, sir? Good afternoon, Peter. First of all, let's start with the given, and it's it's an embarrassing given. Most Americans are geographically ignorant; they have no idea where you know San Francisco is, let alone Bluffton, South Carolina. Right. So, why don't you tell us where we are? We are in the. It's called the South Atlantic Bight. It's the low country. B-I-G-H-T. It, yeah. It's the way that the coast comes in uh, to an extreme angle, and we happen to be situated right in the crotch of that bite. So we're about halfway up the eastern coast. Bluffton resides just on the mainland side of Hilton Head Island in the low country, which is defined about from Charleston to Savannah, Georgia. And you've been here for, what, 22 years? I have. I've been in Bluffton for 22 years and for 14 years before that on the island. So I've been in the low country for 36 years, Peter. So they haven't found out. They still haven't found me. (laughs) So tell me about the work that you're doing there, because it's one thing to look at beauty and it's one thing to look at, you know, environmental, you know, the, the pristine environment. It's another thing to preserve it. Right. We've got quite a story to tell here. The Bluffton Movement, 1844, some secessionists gathered under a a sprawling oak tree in the West side. By the way, has an oak tree ever been described as anything but sprawling? It's it's very grand, Peter. And they they spoke of secession. This is 16 full years before South Carolina seceded from the Union. So a hotbed of secession. They were called the Bluffton Boys, and uh, we were famous for our secessionists. Then in December of 1860, when South Carolina finally did secede from the Union, it was just four months later that the first shots of the war were fired at Fort Sumter. And those were Confederates firing on a Union fort trying to take it back. That led to the Anaconda Plan, which was the the great uh, uh, blockade, naval blockade, that was one of Lincoln's very first uh, initiatives. And because we had fired some of the first shots in the Low Country, Lincoln decided, and his uh, naval generals, decided to attack Port Royal Sound. And before you even tell the story further, it's still almost incomprehensive to me that there even was a naval plan in, in, in those days. Incredible. Um, 25 gunboats, which was a, a, a great part of the, the naval's battleships, circled in what they called a ring of fire in Port Royal Sound. They picked Fort Walker because it was not easily defended. And so they formed this ring of fire and over several hours completely obliterated the fort and sent the Confederate soldiers running for their lives. Well, Hilton Head Island is, a, is an island. They had no place to go. That's and where so they went. Five boats moved these 1,000 Confederate soldiers off of the island through the night. Guess where they came, Peter? Bluffton. And so uh, it remained, Bluffton remained a little stronghold for pickets, if you will, of, of Confederate soldiers that were a real burr under the blanket because of the Union troops and their movements and their naval movements 
up the rivers because we were constantly, we I say, because the Bluftonians were constantly sniping and reporting troop positions. So not long after that, 18 months to be exact, troops were sent over to burn Bluffton. This is long before these General are, These Sherman. are Union troops. These are Union troops yeah. sent over from Fort Pulaski in Georgia to burn Bluffton. So 10 buildings were spared, two churches and eight homes. And the Hayward And everything house, else went. Everything else was torched. In fact, they, they, they think that some of the buildings that survived was because it was so smoky that they couldn't really tell what was on fire. So to bring it to present day, the Hayward House, which is where the Bluffton Historical Preservation Society is um, housed, it's is, one, of those, is, one, is of those. one of those surviving antebellum homes built in 1841. Do you have by, a good fire protection system in there? Actually, it's a tinderbox. We have no open <laughs> flames whatsoever because it was made completely of southern yellow pine. And as you can imagine, it... It really is flammable wood, but resistant to insects. And so that's why it was used. Very hard wood. But now we operate the Hayward House, built in 1841 by slaves. It's a house museum and also serves as the welcome center for the town of Bluffton. And interestingly enough, the Coles who owned the house, um, John Cole, married well. And he married into, um, he married Esther Caroline Corley, whose parents owned Moreland Plantation, which is where we're sitting right now. So we've come full circle. 1,250 acres of Moreland Plantation, which is mainly cotton and rice, was owned and managed by the Cole family, who resided in the Hayward House, where we find ourselves downtown in Bluffton as the Welcome Center. So this is the former Moreland mansion um, or estate? Correct. All of this land. Now, but what was the buildings the, are new. Of course. When, when Palmetto Bluff came around, which is about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, right. what was here? Was this land? Or? It was a lot of land. There were some outbuildings, um, some hunting um, lodges, and right. it had been used for hunting. But no real infrastructure. None. None that I'm aware of. No huge buildings. None at all. And so it had been, it was uh, prime real estate back in the day, for plantation, for, for growing that Sea Island cotton. Aha, uh-huh. see, we've come full circle again. And Carolina gold rice, right? The first rice, the first long grain rice raised in America. Wow. And how's the rice business now? Not so good. Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, the, because it was so labor intensive, after the war ended, plantation life ended. And uh, there weren't, there were no longer workers to to handle all those thousands and thousands of acres, and so they they laid to waste. We're talking to Kelly Logan Graham, the historical director of the Bluffton Historical Preservation Society. When people come to Bluffton, assuming they know where it is and they can follow the road, right, right, got, that's 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 a little bit of a challenge. We're right? just about eight miles off of I ninety five, as the I ninety five crow flies. Right. What's the biggest surprise people find inside that house? The biggest surprise would probably be a mirror that is in our gentleman's parlor. And it was inscribed with a semi-precious stone, and it has a, um, a, a very quickly scribbled message that basically says, Run, rebels, hell is here. It was inscribed by a Union soldier as during the burning of Bluffton. I guess he wasn't wrong. Right. It was very true, and, and a lot of Bluffton was lost on that day, June 4th. 
1863. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. You know, I never go to any place without stopping one place first. If I want information, if I want unbridled, unvarnished, credible information, I go to the firehouse. You know why? I say it all the time. Firefighters have been in everybody's hotel. They've been in everybody's restaurant. They've been in everybody's house. They know where to go. They know where not to go. And they also know where to eat. We'll throw that in there, too. But the bottom line is they are the best deliverers of information in their community and a a valuable resource that people don't really uh, figure out. But I figured it out, so I'm sharing it with you. So whenever I do my show, I never do the show without at least extending an invitation to the local fire chief, and we've got him here right now. John Thompson, the fire chief of Bluffton Township, welcome. Thank you. And you've been around for a while. I have been. I've been in fire service about 34 years. Been in Bluffton about 10. And now you started where, back in Virginia? I did, back in a small part of uh, Virginia, about down in the southwestern tip, down near Bristol, Virginia, in the mountains. All right, different kind of firefighting. It is. It's all rural up there, and uh, it, it's totally different than what we do here. But here, it's, it's, it's rural to the extent that you're heavily wooded. Uh, you, and you got water. We do. And you got wind. We do. And, and you got some challenges. We do. It, it does uh, does give us quite a challenge sometimes, especially when the storms come up and uh, we have to deal with it. But uh, we're very fortunate that the, the community here is developed enough to where we have a, a fairly adequate water supply for most of the areas we go to. You know, it's to me, it's it's and it's a continuing problem. When we saw that fire at the uh, at the Grenville Towers in London, and everybody talked about the cladding on the building, I was the first guy to get on the air and say, "No, guys, the cladding may have contributed to it, but the biggest problem was they had no sprinklers in that building. Correct. They had nothing above the sixth floor they could fight. Uh, they had no sprinklers in the hallways. They had no sprinklers in the in the rooms. So it really gets down to fire codes, doesn't it? It does. And we're fortunate in this in this country, and especially in our county here, where we enforce the fire code and and a lot of the construction. The, the commercial construction is relatively new within the last 15 so years. So you, you, you you're not worried about retrofitting. You can just do it from from scratch. Pretty much. Pretty much. And, you know, I, I, I tell this to friends of mine all the time, and, and they look at me like they've seen too many movies and they think I'm wrong. I said, look, we get as firefighters, we get lucky above the sixth floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, below the sixth floor, we could basically <laughs> attack and, and do it. Correct. But above the sixth floor, it's hit and miss. Right. Because you, you don't have a ladder that can get higher than that. You can't get your guys up there and your women up there. It's tough, right? Right. And, and everything has to be taken up through the building itself. So uh, just the physical stress of getting equipment to the point to where you can attack a fire is, is difficult. And what most people don't realize, and and you really they still don't believe me when I tell them, is that if I'm holding a hose, a fully charged hose, mm-hmm. and I'm pointing it where I need to point it, I can do that. For about 10 minutes, I got two guys holding me. Right. Because you don't want to let go of that hose. No, sir. Uh, and then when you get tapped on the shoulder and you shut down the nozzle, you got to go sit down for a little bit. It, it, yeah, it's, it's extremely, extremely strenuous work. It's, it's very difficult. Although the good news for you, Chief, <laughs> is you don't have a lot of high rises down here. This is true. The highest building we have is about three stories right now. We have a four story possibly coming, but three stories is about the limit for yeah, us. Yeah, but I think four stories you could probably handle. We can handle. <laughs> yes, sir. What about fire rescue? Uh, about, about 
about EMT stuff. I mean, that's got to be your biggest number of runs. It is. It is. The fire service has changed considerably, and we do run about 70% medical calls here. Uh, we don't transport, which is kind of unusual. In the, the you know what? There are no, so many departments now that are doing exactly what you're doing. Las Vegas is an example of that. People mm-hmm. don't realize the, the, the Clark County paramedics in Las Vegas are probably the busiest in the world because their their budget every year is based on the on the year-round population right. of Las Vegas, not the weekend population. Correct. And boy, do they get busy, right? That's but what, basically, you'll get to the location, you'll stabilize, correct? But then th- then private companies will transport. Well, actually, it's third party through the county EMS. It is. Yes, yeah. sir. And we have nine, eight fire stations getting ready to build a ninth one, so we can get there. They only have, they have four ambulances over here, so. It, we get there first. They come in. They right. transport. And your response time is under what? Uh, right now, we're running about six minutes. It's not bad. It's not bad. It could be better. We're working on that. It can always be better, yes, right? Yes, sir. But the bottom line is, if you're coming to Bluffton, I'm not I'm not going to put you on, 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 on the spot here, <laughs> but if somebody wants to stop at the firehouse and see you guys, can they do it? Oh, yes, sir. We, we really want the public to come in and see us. Uh, it, it, the, the guys are be very receptive and, 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 and give them some good information. And they might even tell you where to go eat. They might. They, the most of them know. If you, yeah, they know where the good place. They, they know. They know. Right. Hello. <laughs> uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. I'm joined by the executive director of the Palmetto Bluff Conservancy, Jay Whaley. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So, you heard that introduction. How long have you been working with them? I've been on. I've been here at Palmetto Bluff for 28 years now. Now, the last time I saw you here, if, in the interest of full disclosure, we didn't really just talk about the conservancy. We also talked about gators. We talked a good bit about gators, yes, sir. There are gators here. There are alligators here on property, absolutely. On property. Do they have names? They don't have names. Some of them have numbers. We're actually doing alligator research. You're tagging. Tagging alligators, that's right. And studying dispersion between uh, the age classes and the sexes. So let me guess, if I'm walking or biking, the alligators have the right of way, do they? The alligators do have the right of way, yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So how many alligators do you have? More or less? More or less. Uh, right now, we've probably got about 300 alligators on property. Um, just here? Just at here. At Palmetto Bluff? On Palmetto Bluff, yes, sir. And how many of them do room service? Uh, none do room service. However, we uh, we have had to get some out of the pools and things like that. Oh, so. they find their way into the pools? Yes, sir. Every now and then. <laughs> Not <laughs> are, the big ones. Are they wearing sunglasses? <laughs> no, sir. Okay, I had to ask. I'm sorry. But now let's get serious. Because okay. Part of what you do at the Conservancy may involve alligators, but it involves so much more. Yes, sir. Tell me what you're doing. All right. Well, the Palmetto Bluff Conservancy is definitely the, one of the safeguards set up by the developer to ensure that uh, our development and our natural spaces can coincide in harmony. And one of the ways our... So um, you were managed and planned from day one. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, one of the ways we do it is, of course, through outreach and education, but also through a lot of environmental research. So we're doing in-house research here on the property, but we also fund a lot of research in the low country. Um, and it's everything that we study is indicator species. So those species will be affected first. Give me some examples. Whether to the good or to the bad by development. Uh, some examples are bluebirds, uh, alligators. We've done rattlesnake research. Stop right there. There are rattlesnakes on the property? Yes, sir. I love how you said, yes, sir. There are a few. There are rattlesnakes. Okay, wait. We had 300 alligators. How many many rattlesnakes? I couldn't give you a good estimate on rattlesnakes. Not even a ballpark figure? I can tell you that we have over 30 different species of snake on Palmetto Bluff, and out of that 30 species, only five are venomous. So you're not going to see So you have a one in five chance. (laughs) I'm just doing the math. Just doing the math. No. 
I'm not. I'm just giving you a hard time. But the point is, you're researching all of these. All of these things, yes, sir, and and a lot more. Swallowtail kite research. Uh, we're doing great more okay, now. Research. Let's let's get serious for a second. Okay. The rattlesnake research that you're doing is leading to what? Well, actually, the rattlesnake research is over. We we finished that research project quite a few years ago, and like I said, a rattle uh, that particular species is an indicator species, and what we found out uh, about about any of our snake populations is uh, you can be definitely uh, detrimental to a snake population by cutting just one road into their habitat. So habitat fragmentation really, uh, really hurts snake populations. Okay. And you'd be amazed at why. Tell me. It's because most folks that grew up in the South uh, were taught from an early age, if you see a snake crossing the road, what do you do? You run over it. And that's not the way we, it's not the way we live here, but. You, you let them check into a room. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're talking about fauna. What about flora? Flora. Um, right now, there's we don't have any research going on on the property uh, about the the, <clears throat> the flora. Um, but through the conservancy, a lot of what we do on the education and outreach end of it is we do teach a lot of uh, forestry techniques. We also teach... Uh, uh, a lot about edibles and medicinals that are found here on property. So, uh, such big, as, such as, let's see, uh, medicinal wise, you can call wax myrtle medicinal because it's a insect, it's a natural insect repellent. Um, yopon holly can be used as a purgative, um, and it's also you can you can dry out the yopon leaves and actually make a tea. Uh, it's one of the only, it's the only plant in North America that has natural caffeine, and it grows right here on Palmetto Bluff. Uh, so it was basically. I really first. love all your energy today. It's amazing. Yes, I, I didn't have any, but I, I should I, have. That's okay. Um, let's see. Um, edibles and medicinals. Um, but but moving on from that, okay. it's one thing, and you and I've been talking about this throughout the show. But people being able to come and volunteer and do some work with you guys, what can they do? Well, <clears throat> any of the research that we have going on, they can actually come and go out with us check bluebird boxes, check our cavity nest boxes. They can go on surveys, spotlight surveys uh, for the white-tailed deer. Uh, they can, that's nighttime? That's nighttime. We can do, they can go with us on nighttime alligator surveys as well as daytime alligator surveys. So there's a, I've done nighttime alligator surveys. Let me tell you, so you get the lights out there and you see those two eyes looking right back at you. That's right. You know where you are. And you can go to one lagoon during the day and see five or six alligators, but when the lights go out and you shine across that lagoon, there's 15 or 20 out there that you weren't seeing. So. But let's not, we're, we're mm. not talking about a wild animal park here. We're talking about a resort that's coexisting, if you will. Exactly, absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the biggest draws, I think, about Palmetto Bluff is people want to come here and be close to nature. And it, and it works. But we have to educate not only our property owners, but our guests that anything that they're seeing is wild. So, we want to make sure that we can observe it in its natural setting, but not get too close, right? Right. We're not talking about the Palmetto Bluff Petting Zoo. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Any incidents? No, sir. Never never had an incident wow. so far. Okay. So that's great. With three hundred alligators, that's not bad. That's right. Well, <laughs> if you can educate if you educate people how to live with alligators, then you'll never have a problem. Right. And let's just say what it is. It tastes just like chicken, but let's not go there. <laughs> I, I, you're laughing because you know I'm right. Uh, I actually don't like alligator. So sorry. <laughs> but does it taste like chicken? Come on. Of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> anything, look, anything deep fried enough is going to sooner or later be tastes like, like chicken. chicken. That's yeah, right. I got, you're, you. I got you. 
What's your biggest challenge? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> my biggest challenge, I would say, would was would be um, looking at ways uh, once we years down the road build out Palmetto Bluff uh, to make sure that and I'm, we work hand in hand, of course, with the developer. We're a super, we're a great team. We work great together. Um, we're all of our all of our actions are in line with one another. Um, but at, the, at, at build out, we want to make sure that we have positive connections with travel corridor systems, which connects green space to managed forest. All the and way you have across. a formula in place for that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, you know, things change, lines change. Um, and so we always want to make sure we have that connection all the way across property, north to south, east to west making sure that all of those travel corridors connect to not only open space, but managed forest. So at the end of the build out, which is years and years down the road, but at the end of build out, we've made sure that we've done our jobs right. We haven't displaced wildlife because that's the, that's, that's not a good thing to do is displacing wildlife. So to make sure that there's positive connection all the way across the property, north, south, east, west. And you've been doing it. Yes, sir. Been doing it. You say it's years down the road. Give me an idea. Nah, I'd be lying if I tried to tell you that. I'd say twenty-five. Really? Don't quote me on that. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> you, I reckon you just we did. You I just that. quoted me on that. <laughs> It'll be a while. Be so, a while. but you're, you're doing it in a in a uh, in a thoughtful, managed way. Absolutely. Yes, right. Sir. And and the alligators are still here. They're still here. Yep. And if you build. If you build alligator habitat, they'll come, just like the movie. If you build it, they'll come. Yeah. Yep. Alligators, <laughs> rattlesnakes. What's the most surprising animal you've got here? The one that people are not expecting to see. We just had a bout this, since August with an African serval cat that was a pet in Hardyville that got out of a lady's house and came it all the way. Have been, to, it shouldn't have been a pet in the first place. Came all the way to Palmetto Bluff and set up shop here, and we finally caught it two weeks ago. Yeah. And, and where is it now? It's back at her house. <laughs> Safe and sound. Safe Jay, and sound. Jay Whaley. You asked. I, I yeah, I did. It. I asked you. that to tell me. <laughs> Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Come fly with me, let's float down. I've been coming to this hotel since they built it about 12 years ago, uh, before it actually became a montage. What was really great then, which was really unusual then, and it's not so unusual now, but it's still a challenge, is the idea that in terms of the food, you could source just about anything. And today, I think you can source just about everything. And joining me now, the executive chef from the Montage Palmetto Bluff, Nathan Barrio. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thanks for asking. You heard my my introduction. I mean, even though you're in the low country, obviously, mm -hmm. seafood is, is a big deal. Absolutely. And readily accessible to you. Mm -hmm. But your clients come in from all over the country and all over the world, mm -hmm. they want stuff that they like too. Mm -hmm. They're not always going to be adventurous um, and, and want to sample the local fare. So how do you create a menu then? Through using an absolutely... Um the, the perfect the, the most perfect vendors that I can that I can find right I've, I've been fortunate enough to work on both coasts um, so I use a lot of my connections on the west coast because they can fly it in absolutely I can fly it in from Hawaii I can have it flown in from Japan flown okay, in from please California. tell me you do not have mahi mahi on the menu <laughs> absolutely not thank you <laughs> 
And you know why I said that? It's it's not very nice. No, it's just, it's not that it's not very nice. It's like stop already. You know, I I, I don't want to sound elitist, but you know, mm-hmm. our special tonight is mahi. Oh, stop. Okay, fine. Right. But what can you do here that you couldn't have done, let's say, ten years ago? I think bring that that product, that worldly product, here and get it here in pristine condition. I think the, the shipping industry, the, the, the reach of the purveyors to these, in, in, if you look at it, Bluffton is a rather remote location, um, and having them get us product here in pristine condition has changed that landscape. Although, you know, we talk about farm to table, which is sort of an overused term these days. You got so many farms around here mm-hmm. that you can work with as well. Absolutely. In fact, we work with one that's just 60 miles from here uh, called Cane Water Farms that produces all the grits for us on the property. Well, I want to locally source my grits. <laughs> and there they are. And grits obviously are on the menu for a real reason. They are. And people take it very seriously here. But what kind of grits? Meaning, mm-hmm. are you doing garlic grits? Are you do? I mean, every there's so many different kinds. There are. You know, we actually keep it pretty traditional. They're they're a great palate, just as polenta is, as is risotto. It's a great palate to expand on. We do just a traditional shrimp and grits. We'll do sometimes. Well, you can't you can't be in South Carolina without doing shrimp and grits. Absolutely right. You just got to do it better than everybody else. <laughs> and how do you curate those grits? Well, <clears throat> it's just it's it, one. It starts with the product. So partnering with somebody that understands the milling process, the refining process, that's where it starts. They have a love for the product. We have a love for how we cook the product. What is it? And I, I always like to ask this of the chef, so you're no exception. You're going to get the, the same question. Because <laughs> you've been here, what, three years? Yeah, just about three years. Okay. What is it that when you got here, you said, okay, I'm going to you know, put this on the menu because everybody's going to love it, and it completely tanked. <laughs> And then I'll, I'll conversely, of course, what yeah. is it? You say, okay, I'll put this on the menu, but why? And everybody can't stop ordering it. Right. Well, I would say probably more salads um, that I thought would, would tank have done surprisingly well. Like? Um, we, we have one that we, we consider kind of a detox salad. It has a lot of kale and goji berries and absolutely not low country in any aspect. Um, that is one of the I've most... never heard of something called low country kale. I'm sorry. It just it didn't, <laughs> wasn't in the lexicon. Okay, so right. that one's done surprisingly it, it well. done surprisingly well. Okay, now you can't dodge the first question. Which one right. tanked? Which, which one tanked, huh? Um, You're tapping away here. I, I am. I'm thinking because we, we spend a lot of time coming up with things to make sure they work. But I would say one that we, we thought would do well would be a steak tartare. Um, easy. Easy, right? I've had great luck with things like that everywhere. Um, and it just, we thought it was an amazing set and it just, it, it bombed. No, because in this part <laughs> of the country, they want steak, steak, not steak tartare. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, there's, there's pe- people are pretty open to it. And for children's menus, please mm-hmm. tell me you don't have chicken fingers. I, I would. I, I can't lie to you. We do. And, oh. And, and they're delicious. But they're the best though. chicken fingers in South Carolina. They, they right? absolutely are, and they're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we sell a ton of them. And a grilled cheese sandwich? Absolutely. Okay. Now, I'm in for that. Yeah. I'm in for that because you can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that. Grilled cheese, grilled onions, rye bread, we're done. That's delicious. Grilled gouda? We do do a grilled cheese with gouda. Okay, we're with talking. caramelized onions and mustard. That's what I'm having tomorrow. <laughs> Chef Nathan Berlio, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Excuse me, I said Berlio. It's Ber- It's Berlio. Berlio. My apologies, sir. Not Thanks again, but I'm still going for the grilled cheese. Fantastic. All around the world. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63.
My next guest is going to have to explain to me what he does. I'll give you his title. He's the president of Palmetto Bluff for Crescent Communities. All right, David O'Donoghue, what are you doing? Um, I am very, very fortunate to be here at Palmetto Bluff and oversee this place as a business and also just be a steward of this place for the generations to come. Um, Palmetto Bluff has about 40 small businesses with the in-operations, the hotel, our clubs, POA, HOA, and they all in one form or other roll up to me. I guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, but in the development of this community, you had to have a plan in place. It, yes. had, to, it had to be managed. It had to be in sync with the environment uh, because if you look at the history of this place, there was no real Palmetto Bluff before, really. That is correct. So in 1999, when Palmetto Bluff signed what they called the development plan with the town of Bluffton, interesting enough, Bluffton at that time was one square mile and had 900 residents. Today, Bluffton is over 55 square miles and more than 900 people come in and out of the gates of Palmetto Bluff every day. So our 20,000 acres, um, we have a, an agreement with the town of Bluffton to develop it in a very sustainable, um, high-thinking way that is good for the place. Um, some of our main focuses are protecting the May River watershed, protecting the wildlife, um, creating lots and lots of open space. We already have over 7,000 acres of open space. That, will, that, will, that will stay open? <clears throat> that will stay open in perpetuity. We continue to add to it. We added an extra 100 acres last year. I'm about to sign off on a memo to add another 100 acres this year. So we continue to... Do- Our commitment was for 5,000 acres. We're already at 7,500 acres. Um, so Palmetto Bluff will continue to be a place that many, many people can enjoy in perpetuity. So the key is the B word that says balance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sustainable, balance, environmentally sustainable, and economically sustainable. But what's your biggest challenge? Telling people about the place. Not many people know of Bluffton, well, South well, you Carolina. You know, I, I've said this earlier in the show, but it bears repeating, Americans are the most geographically ignorant people on the face of the planet. Your well, words, not mine. <laughs> oh, I, I'll say them again. I mean, you know, it's like the couple that goes on a vacation, right? Where'd you go on your vacation to Aruba? Where's that? I don't know. We flew, right? Yes. So yes. you really have to, first of all, they don't even know where South Carolina is, that let is alone correct. Bluffton, right? That is correct. So how do you educate them? We start with the regional context. We are south of Charleston, which a lot of people know Charleston. We are north of Savannah, which is emerging as one of the fastest growing and most interesting cities in the south. And both Charleston and Savannah are on the, are, are on the intercoastal waterway. Absolutely. So you, you can sail there. We are on the intercoastal waterway. And in fact, we have, a, as part of our development, a plan to add a large marina right on the intercoastal waterway. And for those that don't know, you can take your boat from Florida to Maine on the internal waterways, which were widened during World War II to protect sailors, and we're very happy to have it on our doorstep. I will tell you this, um, being a boat person myself, yes, I flew into Savannah last night, but the last couple of times I've come to Savannah and the last couple of times I've come to Charleston, I sailed in. And, and why wouldn't you? That's one of the Although I have to warn people that on the, uh, right there on the, on the waterway where the boats can dock in Savannah, I forget the name of the bar, but we were there doing a, a television show, and I walked in, and they were pouring a drink. That was a glass that was three times larger than a normal glass. And everything that was going into that drink was everything they had in the bar. Okay, And I finally said to the, to the bartender, does this drink have a name? He said, yeah, call a cab. <laughs> That's, That's a Savannah. Good. That's Savannah. Savannah is a fun destination. SCAD, the SCAD. art intercommunity, has done phenomenal That's work in Savannah. Savannah College of Art and Design, amazing work. Absolutely. And, and 30 minutes <clears throat> from here. And 30 minutes from here. And the original planner of Savannah did a phenomenal job designing a city that will stand forever. There's great historical homes. There's great ghost tours. There's great bar crawls. And it's a really fun town to be associated well, with. Well, with enough bar crawls, you don't need the ghost tour. This is true. You can make up your own ghosts. <laughs> and you can take a boat from our um, port here, our, our um, dock, all the way down to Savannah for the day. That's so the you way don't to e- do it. You don't even have to get a designated so driver to bring you, you home. You get, uh, 
Call a, call a boat. Call a boat, exactly. <laughs> Our version of Uber. I'm not sure what you call a water Uber. We'll, Uber. <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with that one. We're in the South. I had to do it. Absolutely. But bottom line is, you're a great hub here if you Absolutely. want. You can enable your guests to, to within a, a short amount of time to see parts of the country that they might recognize. Absolutely. And then, and then you bring Atlanta into the equation, Jacksonville. So from a perspective of getting here, it's a very easy lift, to use a travel term. Um, there's a lot to do. And then you also have on our doorstep Hilton. Head, which a lot of people, as you've said, in America know Hilton Head, but they probably don't know where it is. Well, last time I was in Hilton Head, we went out shrimping, mm-hmm. came back and cooked their own shrimp. It was totally cool. Absolutely. And you can do you that can here. Again, you can go down onto the dock and throw a net out and pull in a bag of shrimp and do your own low country boil. And explain a low country boil. A low country boil is shrimp, potatoes, corn on the cob, lots of seasoning, boil it up, throw it out on the table on top of a newspaper and just eat with your hands and fingers and, and drink cold beer. And the key is the newspaper. And the key is the newspaper, <laughs> absolutely. The key is the newspaper. As we all know so well. And also, as you've seen on all around this property on the May River, we have great oyster beds and you can pull out your own oysters and shuck oysters and an- another phenomenal opportunity. So the guests here can do that themselves? We can do it in arranged. I wouldn't recommend you doing it yourself. They tend to be sharp and um, they don't call it pluff mud for no reasons. You can step into what they call pluff mud where the oyster beds are and sink up to your, your chin. So we would rather curate the experience that we bring you out oystering. Oh, excuse me, a curated oyster experience. Excuse <laughs> me, David O'Donnell. Well, that would be Alan's word, so I'm just <laughs> prepping what Alan's going to say later. All right. David O'Donnell, the president of Palmetto Bluff for Crescent Communities and Oyster Shuckman himself. Absolutely. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.